0: Hi, this is Danny Klein-Modisette, and this is the Afterbirth Podcast, featuring real stories about raising kids that you're not gonna read in a parenting magazine. Here's a story by writer and journalist Kemp Powers called His Father's Son. It was recorded at the M Bar in Hollywood, California, in 2011. (laughs) Kemp Powers. Thanks a lot, Danny, for having me here. The expression, he is his father's son, fascinates me. The idea that despite any effort to the contrary, children will ultimately display many of the same tics, personality traits, and failings of their parents brings me a certain genetically predetermined comfort. (laughs) But it's also the cause of much frustration. You see, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, at a time when the city was in the throes of a vicious crack epidemic that left more than 2,000 people a year murdered. I've been described by my friends as loyal, tough, and relentless, traits that I absolutely credit to my unusual and challenging upbringing. It is because of the person that I am that I regularly find myself wondering, why is my son such a little bitch? (laughs) He could never be a bully, but he seems perfectly suited to the role of bully sidekick, Uh, a toady, if you will. I could imagine him standing in the shadow of some large and assertive thug, pointing his finger at the asshole's victim as he cackled. On his better days, my boy is simply your prototype lovable doofus. I could never have been friends with this little shit as a kid. The whining, the quick descents into tears, these traits were the fuel that fed the ass whoop in the city streets delivered on a daily basis. When my son was younger, I found his observant and inquisitive manner entertaining. At four, while driving through a dicey part of South Los Angeles, he asked completely earnestly, Dad, do bad people live here? You know, like John McCain. And I didn't teach him that. When his preschool held his smock presidential election, he was the only kid who abstained from voting. He didn't want to ruffle any feathers. Now a more mature six years of age, his passive and emotional nature has begun to elicit a different variety of emotions in me, ranging from disgust, such as when he participated in the mother of all bad trades with another boy at school. It was for a comic book for a transformer, so it was like complete idiocy, <laughs> to disappointment, such as when he was peer pressured into standing up in the middle of class and dropping his pants in front of his teacher. Once while I was driving, I shouted profanities, realized he was in the back seat, and apologized. I wasn't talking to you, I said. He shrugs. You know that it's not appropriate to use words like that to a kid like me. I could see the threat of a call to child services in his beady little eyes. I blame California and its progressive learning. Being a public school kid in Brooklyn was a lesson in perseverance. I went from dodging D-cell batteries thrown at my head on subway platforms, to summer vacation in North Carolina, where I I enjoyed days of fighting with the local hillbilly proletariat, (laughs) nights building up the courage to crap in the nearby outhouse, and having my snack foods rationed by my really evil aunt. One chore completed, one cheese doodle. And these weren't your typical chores. Making one's bed was a requirement, not a chore. A chore would be to go into the shed and clean all the webs and bugs off of a dilapidated old tractor, or pick my body weight in corn and tomatoes. That's a lot of fucking work for a cheese doodle. (laughs) And it's work my son has never had to do. If I took all of his snack foods away, I have no doubt in my mind that he would fall into a depression that no amount of Paxil (laughs) would pull him out of. So an attempt to toughen the boy up seemed in order, and karate classes were the answer. After all, I'd successfully managed to counterbalance my enthusiastic participation in school band with an equally zealous participation in after school taekwondo, so why couldn't he? Sadly, my kung fu dreams for my son died within weeks, as my young squire proved pretty hapless at performing even the most basic maneuvers without disintegrating into a giggling frenzy that bewildered his instructor. It's probably best that he didn't make it to the sparring stage, as I could see the threat of that first kick to the face sending him doubling over like a fainting goat. His junior basketball league was an even greater lesson in patience, the haunting clang of each successive brick ringing into my dying soul. I found myself fighting the urge to just jump up and shout, Come on, Mingus, just pass the ball to the fucking Persian kid. (laughs) So, I blamed his white mother. After all, everyone in my family has great hand-eye coordination. <laughs> and how else can I account for what seemed like downright hypersensitivity to the entire world around him? I mean, at his age, I was oblivious to the outside world, a trait I thank my three older sisters for. You see, we moved a lot. New Yorkers being perpetual renters, it was easy in theory, but in reality, moving four kids as a single parent is anything but. Still, Mom had a hard and fast rule that she stuck by. When the drama reaches your front door, it's time to go. Sadly, it reached our front door a lot. You see, my three sisters were barely a year and a half apart in age, which means that they were all able to attend the same high school at the same time. So while two relatives in the same school forms a family, three in the same school can't be called anything other than a fucking gang. This meant that most trips outside of our cramped apartment or ended with a physical confrontation with other neighborhood girls. And for those who don't know, girls are way worse than boys when it comes to violence and fighting. And these fights got bad. At one point, my dad had to bring my sister Stephanie home because she'd been suspended for a week for slicing up another girl's face with a razor blade. And this was a common method of attack because a straight razor could be carried all day comfortably in the space between a girl's cheek and her tongue. FYI. Mingus couldn't carry a razor in his mouth on his best day. He's already achieved the mythical twofer. He's both cut himself with safety scissors (laughs) and sliced his eyebrow open on a rounded, edge-free table. (laughs) Even if he could, I don't think he'd be able to handle the fallout from such pyrrhic victories. For my sisters, the pot boiled over one Saturday morning. I was sitting on the floor eating my Applejacks and watching cartoons. Someone, most likely a boyfriend of one of their enemies, flung a Molotov cocktail at our front door, it nearly set the whole building on fire. People screamed and ran around frantically as a smoke crept under the door. I didn't move. I just sat there, kept on eating my Applejacks, and never took my eyes off those cartoons. As a journalist, I've always been commended for my strongest trait, which is that I'm really hard to rattle. And every time I hear the compliment, I think of Applejacks. My son's favorite cereal is Honey Nut Cheerios. And on this morning, he hasn't finished his bowl. Instead, he's gathering a pile of Band-Aids and piling them onto the kitchen table. I tell him it's just a field trip and that nothing is going to happen to him that will require that amount of medical supplies. And he looks at me. He's puzzled. It's not for me, he says. I want to make sure that if anyone in my class gets hurt, I have enough Band-Aids to take care of them. It's at this point that I suddenly realize the error of my character assessment. My son was a sweet boy, and after my childhood, I couldn't process this sweetness as anything other than weakness. In scorning him for his obvious inability to flourish in the world in which I grew up, I totally missed the fact that he was being successfully guided through a world in which compassion, empathy, and love were all around him, as opposed to being lost on the edge of a fist, the tip of a baseball bat, or down the barrel of a gun. I hope that in his life, my son never knows what it's like to have his shoes stolen from off of his feet that he's never subjected to the humiliating ritual of having to go outside to a tree and select the branch with which he's going to be beaten. I don't want him to know the scent of gunfire or the terrible sound of someone dying in your arms. These things make us hard, not just to our enemies, but to those we love. Yes, my son and I wouldn't have been friends as children. I mean, how could we? He couldn't have saved me. He couldn't have helped me strike out at those who hurt me. But I draw a new comfort in knowing that our not being friends wouldn't have been because of his inability to outsmart the vicious world we called home, but from my jealousy at his not having needed to. Thank you. For more information about Afterbirth, the live show, the book, or the podcast, please visit www.afterbirthstories.com. Thanks.